All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Here comes Horvath. Horvath cutting in. Score! What a goal by Big Bo! Vancouver Canucks select from the Kelowna Rockets, Cole Lynn. I'm running, it's the Jason number one. Walk is Pedersen scores! Elias Pedersen, power play goal! The curtain's calling, calling, calling. The stage is set in a lot of 91. Here comes Vertanen. Lots of ice for him to work with. Wide on heat to the net. Scores! Aaron Dell thought Vertanen was going to pull it across to the forehand. He just slid it between the legs. And he's shopping paper, it's my gun. I'm working, yeah, I want my time to come. Locked and loaded, pops are falling, falling, falling. December 7, 1941. I want to. Waiting for Danny the girl 
Canucks fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. My name is Chris Faber, and thank you for joining us this week for episode 59 of the Canucks Conversation, presented by the great folks at Parallel 49 Brewing Company, the best beer in the world. So go out and find some seasonal specials or just the old classics like the Jerk Face or some of their lager packs as well with Parallel 49 Brewing Company beer. All right, let's get to this week's guests, and then we'll get to the announcement right after that. This week we are joined by Ryan Schapp and Justin Morissette. Both of them have been podcasting in the Vancouver area for a long time. I know that uh, we talked about in the conversation, Schaff has been doing it for seven years with Pucks on Net, and Justin Morissette, who works also with Sportsnet 650 and does the Locked on Canucks podcast, and he uh, talks about a few other things as well. He fixes the intro for me when we get to that conversation. Um, so two great guests. You guys have helped me out a ton uh, when it comes to podcasting and just other things around Vancouver. So excited to get both those guys back on the podcast. If you didn't see the announcement on Twitter, uh, we aren't going to be doing this current format moving forward. Uh, I'm going to be bringing on a full-time co-host, and I'm super excited to have David Quadrelli join me uh, moving forward, starting on episode 61 of this show, and we're just going to keep rolling uh, with a podcast between me and Quads because we're working together at Canucks Army, we're going to school together at BCIT, and uh, we want to work with each other for a long time to come. So I'm excited to see what the show becomes because we don't really know yet. We are sort of bouncing some ideas off for segments moving forward, but I'm just excited to talk with quads moving forward and kind of plan it out once I get moved over to Vancouver. So thank you guys uh, who have listened to the show for these past episodes. It's been so much fun uh, chatting with all these people, you know, whether it just be someone that I've pretty much I've had over a hundred conversations with people I've never talked to in my life. And I've been able to broadcast them out to you guys through podcast form and people I think have enjoyed it so far. It's been a lot of fun, but you know, moving forward with quads is going to be a hell of a lot of fun because I know we want to work together. We want to do this kind of thing uh, for a long time to come. So we're going to see what happens We'll work on some segments. Uh, speaking of segments, we are going to be bringing along the Ride in the Bus segment with Corey Hergott. I know you guys like to hear Corey talk about Utica Comets. I love to talk Utica Comets with Corey. So we're going to just keep that moving forward every single week. We're still going to have the Ride in the Bus segment uh, with Corey Hergott. So, yeah, let's uh, let's just get to our first conversation here. I'm sure there will be a lot of things to talk about over the next couple weeks, especially with me and Quads figuring out what the hell we're going to do with the show. Uh, but that should be a lot of fun, and I'm excited to get to it. We're going to you know go out to – he says we're going to some Italian restaurants quads is uh, italian for people who don't know and he's got some uh, some bangers that i got to get to apparently in vancouver so i'm excited we're going to go over have an italian dinner when we'll figure out what the hell we're going to do with this podcast so let's get to our first guest now it's time for justin morissette from sportsnet 650 and the locked on podcast from before standing in line to see the show tonight another light on heavy All right, guys, joining me now for the first conversation. You can find him on Twitter at Justin Morris. You can find him podcasting with the Locked On Podcast and as well on the 650 broadcast. J-Mo, how you doing, buddy? It's been a while. I'm good, man. I'm good. Just want to uh, issue a quick correction there on that introduction. Yikes. Uh, you can find me on Locked On Canucks, where I'm doing uh, a Canucks show, you know, seemingly five days a week, though I took a little break for Christmas time here just because it gets so busy in December. But you can also find me on Locked On NHL. I host the national program for Locked On uh, twice a week as well on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Wednesdays is a Western Conference recap with C. Morley of Fear the Finn. And on uh, Thursdays, it's a one-on-one interview with... Uh, a different voice from around the hockey world. And uh, last month I was fortunate enough, in fact, to catch up with uh, Daniel Carcillo. And that's an interview that I am uh, quite proud of and uh, would recommend people check that out if you want kind of a deep dive uh, look at the kind of cultural issues that have been affecting hockey 
over the last couple months, uh, Daniel obviously very involved yeah. in trying to uh, make it known the terrible things that happened to him as he made his way through the junior ranks and just a very frank discussion on, uh, you know, where hockey has gone wrong and, and if he sees fixes or solutions uh, in the future. And I will offer a little spoiler alert uh, on that one. We are not optimistic that anything <laughs> is really going to change because uh, you may have noticed that hockey seems pretty comfortable just leaving those topics in the past and turning the page on them. Uh, as quickly as it can without really necessarily addressing the uh, structural issues that make those uh, problems possible, I yeah. should say. It just seems like you're, you're getting, like, I just got rid of flooring. This brings up a, a good equation here. The, you know, you get rid of bad flooring, you bring in more bad flooring to put into your new floor. It doesn't make <laughs> a lot of sense. But, uh, Justin, <laughs> people always ask me, uh, actually, I, I always mention to people, I love having people on that produce audio content because that introduction was taken away by you there. Simply, uh, I always say the best people to interview are people that podcast or do audio content. Uh, and obviously I've been a big fan of yours for a while. Uh, I'm still, you know, still kind of mad that I never got to be one of the top three questions of the week on real good show, but we don't have to bring that up yet. Oh uh, yeah. That's <laughs> my apologies. Yeah. I thought they were good questions, but I guess not. Uh, but I'm glad to get <laughs> you back on here because, um, Obviously, you know, I've announced it this week that uh, the show is coming to an end in its current format. I won't be interviewing people every week. Uh, I'm excited to move forward with uh, David Quadrelli coming on as a co-host. And, uh, I, you know, you're one of the guys that I've been listening to for years, so I was excited to get you back on the show because you have came on pretty early on this show, and you've seen, you know, it's grown a little bit. It's been pretty cool to see what's happened over the past couple of years. Yeah, it's grown so much that I felt like I was never going to get asked <laughs> on again. It's like, oh, oh favors not. just... Favors just, you know, he's shot the moon. He's on to the big leagues. <laughs> Look at this big shot. It's too, too big to remember where he came from at this point. Guys like me and Chap, we can't even uh, sniff an invite onto this program any longer. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, That's, you guys are getting the finale. As just so, you know, if you want to throw some salt in the wound, you guys are episode 59. So the you know, big true. finale is episode 60. We'll it's see true, it's true. One. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're just the, the appetizer. We're yes. teasing everybody with the prospect of, of uh, the big guests still yet to come better sneak these bums in here before all the huge names come on uh, no man I, it's funny though i really was thinking like two weeks ago listening to your show you know uh as as you have uh, become i guess a target of somewhat uh on my show and on roxy fever yes. as well being told chris faber turn off the episode right now uh, a couple times in consecutive weeks, though, uh, I was thinking, you know, it has been an awful long time <laughs> since Chris has invited me on here. Maybe I blew it by making fun of his takes on my own show, but I'm very happy to be invited back so we can have these fights in person now over yeah, the airwaves. That's, absolutely, what, that's what everybody's here to listen to. People are here for that, of course. I just I'm excited to get you back on because there are a few things that we disagree on, and that's I mean, maybe some of the things that you have brought up on your show or Jackson has as well. Um, and you know, I, you know what? Let's just get right into it because I have talked a little bit about Tanner Pearson, a little bit about Josh Levo being players that I'm not uh, excited that are in our team's top six, but I do understand that you know where they are currently in the rebuild, and I'm still calling it a rebuild because I think they're still in that situation a little bit later stages but, but, now. But Chris, let me cut you off. Go here. for it, and, okay. I, and not not to interrupt the question, which I'm sure was still forthcoming, was going to be brilliant. Yeah, we'll but see. we just we just celebrated a wonderful night at Rogers Arena a couple weeks ago now, I guess three weeks ago or so, mm -hmm. uh, when the Canucks. You know, 
honored one of the greatest players, one of the you know the scorer of the best goal in franchise history. We we sent Alex Burrows up to the Ring of Honor. So you cannot tell me when you look at a talent like Josh Levo or a talent like Tanner Pearson and say, well, these guys are only suitable to be in the top six right now because we're still in this rebuilding phase when the top-line winger of the best team in Canucks history (laughs) is Alex Burrows. Like, they cannot all be Artemi Panarin's. They cannot all be Elias Pettersson's. You do need guys who, you know, are muckers and grinders by nature perhaps that have a little touch around the net as well if alex burrows is the top line winger in the best team in franchise history a team that by all rights should have won the stanley cup that year we're the best team in hockey one of the best teams of this modern era like they you do not need a sniper a a pure skill player on every top line you know to be successful as a top end team is all i'm going to say there so whatever you were going to say uh continue yeah what what i was getting well first of all big shot i was at that game as well seeing bro score i'd like to fit that in anytime everyone brings it up best night of my life uh the thing that i would like tanner pearson him as a player right now would he have fit in with the sedines Probably. I mean, he's the type of player that you would like to see in 2011 playing on a first line with those two guys. But when I look at this team moving forward and I see lines like Pedersen and Besser as a duo or JT Miller and Horvat as a duo, I want a player that can continue the cycle with those players, specifically with the Pedersen-Besser line. You know, I've seen Josh Levo play a ton of minutes last year with them. Hasn't really played a ton with them this year, which has been, you know, nice for me because I do I do see a lot of in Josh Levo and Tanner Pearson's game that I want to have them on this team's roster. But the biggest thing that I don't like is when they, you know, when they slow down a cycle or aren't able to continue the cycle because we're seeing Pedersen and Besser and these young players come in and that's how they generate offense. That's how they get the puck to the front of the net is they need to continue that cycle, have a guy that can make a pass or just be soft with the stick and be able to go to the net, whether it be Pedersen or Besser in front, they score so many goals from outside of the high-danger areas that I think you need to kind of have support players around them that help them in that situation. But I think you're wrong. Yes, Chris. I know. I know this. I, I, I think you're wrong. I'll turn, off my, uh, are, I'll turn off my uh, being, ears for a bit. <laughs> I think you're being too harsh on Tanner Pearson because – a lot of his points lately are coming by being a part of that second unit power play. Right. And how is he like that power play thrives on puck movement. Like, yes, they're a little bit better off the rush perhaps than the first unit is as well. But a lot of their success is coming by getting set up and moving the puck around down low between, you know, Gaudette and Pearson and Vertanen and whoever else is being used uh, as, as you know, part of the, the trigger man rotation on that power play unit. The second unit has been the better unit of late. Right. And Tanner Pearson is a big part of that unit. So, you know, I, I realize that's a different cycle game when you're playing five on four than versus five on five. But when that unit has such great puck moving success and Pearson is a part of it, I just don't see the argument that this guy has a, a heavy stick and, and can't keep up on the playmaking front. Like, he's not... A, a Sedine, he's never going to have that degree of cycle game, perhaps. But, you know, we're talking about a guy, and yes, he's streaky, I do admit. Yeah, for but, sure. you know, any any middle six winger, which is, you know, what he is, essentially, I think he's a little on the higher end. I'd say he's a bona fide second-line player. You don't 
put up the kind of production that he's put up this year where, again, and this is a very key point that I really think people need to have hammered home. I'm not sure exactly what he's on pace for right now, but for much of the season, he's been on pace for about 51, 52, 53 points. Yeah, he's about there. In that range. I'm not sure where he stands right this second as we speak. Yeah, bang on, bang on. He's about 50, 51, 52, yeah. 53 points is first-line production. It's not, you know, first-line star production. It's not, you know, the kind of things that you expect from your number one centerman or whatever. But if we look around the league and how many first lines are in the league on 31 teams, that means there are 93 players who are first-line talents. Mm -hmm. 53 points was good for 90th in league scoring last year. And that includes defensemen in the scoring mix as well. If you just excluded uh, all defenders and only looked at forwards, like who knows where the number would be as far as what 93rd in offensive production would be. All I'm saying is, you know, you can't look at a guy like Tanner Pearson who's giving you a lot for a depth player. Like he, he's not a consistent star. People are trying to hold him to the standard that they're holding JT Miller or Elias Pedersen or Brock Besser to. And if you try to do that, then sure, he's going to look disappointing. But you cannot have a team entirely of those guys. First of all, you wouldn't even be able to pay for them. Uh, but, if, you know, you need people down the lineup who are going to give you that kind of production. And when you have a guy like Pearson, who is a streaky player, but all scorers are streaky, even the best of them. Even Elias Pedersen is a streaky player. In some ways, Brock Besser certainly is a streaky player. Someone who's a 30 goal scorer is not going to score in at least 52 games a year. And that's fine. Like we need to, and I'm not, I'm not just pointing at you here. When I say these things, you know, you had Kyle on the show a couple (laughs) weeks ago and he was backing you up on all this. And it's a common complaint on the message boards, on HF boards, on Reddit, it's a common complaint on Twitter. There are people in this market, I feel like, who grew up with the 2011 team, basically. That that is, you know, my team that I grew up with when I was a teenager that has given me unrealistic expectations of what hockey is and how fun it is, maybe, is the West Coast Express team of 2003, essentially. Mm-hmm. You're a... Uh, generation behind me. Oh, you I guys. thought you were going to call me a millennial for a second. No, Justin. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying you're the you're a wave after me, which means yeah. you know, flash forward eight years, and the team that you probably grew up with in the same way is that 2011 group. And so there are people who grew up with hockey in this city who think that 75 points is a second liner because that's what Ryan Kessler did on the 2011 team. No, that team was so good because you had a guy who was giving you first-line production as your second-line center. And we have that in some level today with Bo Horvat. He's not necessarily producing the way he did last year, but he is still a first-line player in a second-line role. Like Even if he was putting up 60 points-ish like he did last year, that is first-line production. He is a first-line player in a second-line role, and that's good. That's a good thing to have. Like, you don't... It's not... It's not a problem to see that kind of production from uh, your top six. Obviously, and these are these are that's what you want to be a contending team. Yeah, and I guess when you look at the way that Bo Horvat, you know, scores a lot of his goals or generates a lot of his offense and scoring chances, I mean, a lot of the stuff that Tanner Pearson or Josh Levo does is going to help that game. I mean, there's you know, Tanner Pearson's going to get his best games when he's doing this stuff that he was doing in the earlier part of the year, putting up ten shots in a game, being in front of the net, and just forcefully getting the puck to the net. It's like what you talked about with the second power play unit. The fact that they're so different 
from the first unit, and you know they're having success, like you mentioned, from just getting the puck towards the net. Whether it be a guy like Tyler Myers who's getting shots off, or Alex Edler back there, they are all cycling the puck towards the net in certain ways, right? It's oh yeah. You know, Adam Gaudet obviously has that shot on the left side. That's how he scored so many damn goals in college, and they're using that in a great way. With you know every time Gaudet, you can see him take those two steps where he kind of goes out to the right and circles in towards the net from the left side. And you're going to see the other players go right towards the net, whether it be a Tanner Pearson or you know whoever else is on that second unit in front of the net banging around. You're going to see guys go straight to the net when that happens, and there is going to be offense that comes from that because that is a way to score goals in hockey. Go to the damn net with the freaking puck. What Absolutely. The, the and thing that I don't like, though, about that second power play unit hang is... Hang on. Before we get yep. to that, before we get to that, because I just talked about the way Pearson, I feel like, does fit in with the way that group moves the puck. Mm-hmm. And certainly a number of his assists have come through playmaking and passing and finding the trigger man, and he'll get a first or second assist on those plays, certainly. But a number of his points also come from the fact that, like you said, he is a high-volume shooter. He is not 10 shots a night like we saw in Edmonton in the season opener, necessarily. He can be that guy at times. He can be a man possessed, just shooting the puck like Michael Samuelson used to from anywhere and everywhere. But that mindset does get him points as well because, you know, when I'm thinking about goals that have been scored by Jake Vertanen while Jake has been hot on this run of late and certainly, you know, the way Jake fits in on that second unit power play and maybe even the way that Adam Goddett has gotten some goals on that second unit power play, his shots create secondary scoring chances because he is intentionally picking the spot on the goalie's pads. You know, if he's coming down the right side, he'll pick the left pad for a rebound to get kicked out. And guys will score on the rebound because he's intentionally shooting to create that secondary scoring chance, which is, I think, a lot smarter than people want to give credit for when you just look at a guy taking a shot and think, well, what an idiot. He's just shooting from anywhere. The play is dying on his stick. No, he's creating rebound scoring opportunities, and more often than not, I feel like his line mates are converting on them. So he's having a real good season, and I know that maybe what you're saying is ideally his skill set as you're thinking of it might be the skill set of a elite fourth-line player, but what I'm telling you is... He's giving you first line production, and you can't look past that. Yeah, you, you can't really you can't really argue that too much when you do see the numbers: twenty four points in thirty eight games, and he's playing with Bo Horvat, and they've had success. I mean, we saw it last year; they came in, they had something that worked together. It was something to see, you know, Tanner Pearson come in and kind of revitalize the season that he had coming off of injuries and such. And you know, the fact that he plays with Bo Horvat, it does work out great. And I feel like. I don't know, maybe it was like 10 games ago or so, but there was like a stretch of like three or four games where the Canucks were scoring so many damn goals, like what you're talking about, just like shooting the puck low off of their pads and then somebody else is right there to, you know, get a wide open net and score goals. So that is something that maybe that's a way that Bo Horvat does score a lot of his goals because we've seen, it seems like with Bo Horvat when he's going towards the net right now, it's almost like if he had one more step, he would be by guys, just flying. He has enough strength to lean on these guys, but if he had that extra one step, he would just be scoring at a ridiculous pace, it feels like, because a lot of his scoring chances, I think, are, you know, there is a defender right on him, and that's probably a great thing about Bo Horvat's game is that he can still get these scoring chances off with a defender all over him, but it feels like if he had that one extra step, he'd be by these guys and scoring so many goals, but that is probably where a guy like Pearson or Josh Levo can help, because if they are just firing shots and, you know, developing rebounds from these certain situations, and the second line, maybe what I'm looking at it, I'm seeing like a second line playing like what I would think a third line plays like, and maybe I'm seeing the third line play like what I would expect a second line to play like with Adam Goddard. 
And you're bang on correct in thinking that because that's the way the team is using them as well, yeah. right? Like, Bo Horvat is being used in a matchup role. It's him and Jay Beagle are basically splitting matchup duties. Mm-hmm. And full credit to Beagle, who is doing an incredible job of it, especially in the last game before the Christmas break, mm-hmm. uh, as we record this here on Monday, they shut down the most potent line in hockey, mm-hmm. you know? They, they made, like, Beagle in particular, I know Horvat shared the matchup with them, but that Beagle line with Mott and Schaller made the most potent line that we have seen in hockey in a very, very long time. Guys who are scoring basically at the rate of, like, uh, 2006 era or 2000, what, whatever year it was where, do you remember when Yarmir Yager just popped off for the New York Rangers? Yeah. Like, the, the entire scoring race was guys who were, like, in the 90-point range, and then you had just Yager with, like, 135 points or whatever, <laughs> just, like, playing the game on an entirely different level. Even before he went to New York, he had a night when he was still in Washington where he put up, like, 11 points, and the team scored 15 against the Florida Panthers, I want to say. Like, that is the kind of production that you're you're seeing from those two guys in Edmonton right now. And Beagle made them look like fourth-liners. He completely invalidated that entire line at even strength, which is incredible, Um, but... He needs to shoulder more of that load because, like, to me, the problem with Bo Horvat is that he's being asked to do too much this year. Absolutely. And because he's captain, he wants to say yes to everything and say, I can do this. I'll do whatever the team needs of me. And I think overall it's hurting his game because I've seen people refer to Tanner Pearson as kind of a boat anchor on Horvat this year. Well, Horvat's not having the year that necessarily we expected of him. He's having a down year relative to what he was doing last year. What's the problem? Well, maybe it's the fact that he's strapped to Tanner Pearson every night. I think that's bullshit because when you look at what Tanner Pearson is doing, Tanner Pearson is having a successful season. He is, like, right on pace doing exactly what he was doing as far as generating points the way he did when he arrived on this team after the trade deadline last season. If Tanner Pearson is succeeding by himself, then I don't think you can say he's the anchor weighing down Bo Horvat. The problem with Horvat is it's just frankly too many minutes you know um i've been meaning to talk about this on locked on for the last couple weeks but you know the the team escaped from the nightmare november schedule this season mostly unscathed not entirely unscathed you know like it wasn't a stretch that completely derailed their season the way last year's november did Mm. But it had the potential to do lasting damage in a way last year's November did not because they made it through by simply having guys play far too many minutes. You had a two-week stretch there where Bo Horvat every single night in the absence of Sutter and Beagle was playing between 23 and 27 minutes. And you cannot do that, really, and not have it catch up to you. Like... Did Bo's minutes come down a little bit in December when guys got a little healthier? Yes. But did Bo also look just completely gassed from having to play that stretch in the first place? Of course he did. Mm -hmm. And, like, I've heard Drance talk about this, I think, on the most recent uh, Patcast or Nuxcast or Van, whatever it's called. (laughs) Uh, You know, Drance was saying, if you could make the promise to Bo Horvat that he would play X amount of penalty kill minutes a night, 
and you could make that promise to him so that he had the ability to go all out at even strength, you would see a successful Bo Horvat again because he's not doing those things that make his game successful right. that much offensively anymore. You know, when we were in awe of Bo Horvat, we were calling him Bull Horvat because he was charging every single night. He'd see red and just go straight at that crease and, you know, rush the puck towards that. When's the last time you saw him do that? Have you seen him do it even a single time this season? Yeah, I would you say especially it. after November because, I mean, yeah, like that was what we were starting to see. Remember how much people were talking about Bull Horvat skating improving so much, and now we're starting to see him be forced into a different role after improving so much to get into a certain role of being able to go to the net and bring some offense. Like that was the thing that he needed to improve on, right? Everyone thought he was going to be that third-line center who's going to be a two-way guy and he was going to be good on the PK, but we saw him just evolve into something. And it's almost like he's de-evolving, I guess, out of this situation into something else because of the coaching situation, I guess. But I I wanted to ask you about that fourth line because you mentioned Jay Beagle, and I've thought about the idea of Jay Beagle playing with a Brandon Sutter on his right wing and maybe a Tim Schaller or a Mott moving in, but the idea has also came up lately about trying to do some load management with Beagle and Sutter. So what's your ideal kind of situation with that fourth line? Because I think you bring up a good point. They can bring a lot more to this team than people believe. I mean, my ideal fourth line is exactly how it is right now Mm. with Mott and Beagle and Schaller. Because, look, Travis Green is right. There is something of an X factor to that line when Tyler Mott is with them. And I got to issue a big-time mea culpa here because if I had my way, if I was picking the team out of training camp, both Tyler Mott and Tim Schaller would not be on this team. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like I'd seen enough from those guys (laughs) last year no more. Don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Like, got, got to cut and run at some point. But, uh, you know, Tim Schaller has bounced back in a significant way this year. He's still been scratched a couple times over the last couple months here. But, yeah. you know, when he is on that line with Mott it's, and, and Beagle, like, there is just something to that mix that is a potent shutdown combination in a way that, you know, putting... Sutter on the wing or what have you just doesn't have the same effect and I don't know maybe you still do need uh, a Brandon Sutter here as an insurance policy someone who can shoulder those minutes if Beagle has to leave the lineup again uh, perhaps you know he's not going to do the job as well as Jay Beagle did but he might just take some of that load off of uh, Bo Horvat that you certainly do not want to be putting on, uh, whether it's Elias Pettersson or uh, Adam Gaudet, certainly. They do not seem comfortable giving those guys any sort of defensive responsibility, which is fine. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they'll, they'll get there. There was a time when Bo Horvat wasn't trusted with any defensive responsibilities either. Hmm. You have to step up your game as you become something of a veteran in a young man's NHL, you know, five years in, you, if you're not taking defensive draws at that point, probably something's gone wrong, <laughs> but uh, we still have time before we need to worry about Elias Pettersson's ability on face-offs or what have you, you know, the way that he has just taken to everything as a challenge and tried to up his game on every level since he entered the NHL, well, eventually he's going to gamify trying to better himself at face-offs the same way he gamified trying to improve his shot. And, you know, over the course of one off-season, suddenly has a radically improved shot. But he puts his mind to wanting to be a guy you can count on to win a draw more often than not. 
he's going to get really good at it. And when you have Manny Malhotra as your coach as well, there's going to be room to improve. But as far as the way I look at that ideal bottom six, I just don't see a role for Brandon Sutter on this team when yeah. all is healthy, you know? Yeah, um, so maybe maybe the Levo injury is a, is a lifesaver for Sutter in some way. It was certainly a lifesaver for Louis Erickson because <laughs> – you know, you got the feeling that when this roster got healthy and everyone was off IR up front anyways, that was probably going to be the end for Louie. Like, he was going to be sent down because what? You're not going to send down Adam Goddett. You're not going to send down Josh Levo. You're certainly not going to send down Jake Vertanen the way Jake has been playing over the last couple months. You're not going to lose anyone for free on waivers other than the guy that you did actually want to lose, and that's Louie, despite the fact that, you know, when he's come in in limited roles lately, uh, even even if it's along the, the Bo Horvat line <laughs> playing top six minutes, I mean limited roles as in the run that he gets is limited, yeah. in much the same, the, the same way that, like, Biega used to step into the lineup and play like he was shot out of a cannon because he'd only play one game every month and a half or so. Like, Erickson does seem like he's playing well. Yeah, I thought he last game was one of his best we've seen as a Canuck, to be honest. Like, yeah, he when was he steps, skating. When he steps in after a break, he's doing well. It's yeah. when he's been in the lineup for eight in a row that he starts to play like shit again. Yeah, exactly. Maybe just like one game per paycheck is what Louie would like at this point, I guess. But uh, what are, what are <laughs> but, the other but things? But like, you agree, though, right? Like, they can't. This, this is what I was saying right from the beginning of the year. This is why I was freaking out yeah. about, you know, waving Sven Berchi and waving Nikolai Goldobin because of what it said about the ideology of your team construction. You cannot have two of the same guy. You cannot have Sutter and Jay Beagle. And I think we all agree that Beagle does the role better, which means you cannot have Sutter, especially at the money he makes, especially when you have Adam Gaudet to play that third-line spot. To me, the best third line that the team iced all year long was Sven Berchi with Adam Gaudet and Josh Levo. And unfortunately, we're probably never going to see it again because Levo's you know, probably done for the season. He might come back with like one or two weeks to go before the end of the year. Yeah. And unfortunately, as much as I am a fan of Sven Berchi, uh, the relationship seems to have curdled here between uh, Sven and the team. So Justin, as we're kind of talking about these lines here and how it, you know each line is kind of asked to do something different, I'm curious because the Canucks have a lot of prospects coming up that people are very excited for, whether it be a Tyler Madden, you know, a Facility Pod Colesner, and Niels Huglander. Out of those, you know, players, or maybe one off the board as well, who do you think could make an impact on one of these lines, whether it be the first, second, or third line that could just be someone that we're you know, going to help this team get so much better, whether it be a depth player or somebody in the top six. Out of one of these Canucks prospects, who do you think can make that big impact in the next couple of years? Well, th- that's the worry of signing these contracts in free agency, right? Yes. Like, every time somebody is extremely critical of these contracts, whether it's the ones given to Jay Beagle or Antoine Roussel or Michael Furland is the latest uh contractual tragedy here in this city and it's no slight against the players it's just the fact that you are committing big money and more than that big term to roles down the roster where that's where you should have holes in the lineup for your kids to step in and fill them you know like i want to see cole lind play in the nhl and it doesn't necessarily need to be in a top six role, like Colin does not have to be Bo Horvat's winger to make the NHL for the Canucks, right? Yeah. But but 
he kind of does also because they haven't left any other holes open for him. There is no spot for a Cole Lind to play on this fourth line. Even the third line, they have so many middle six wingers right now, there's really not a spot for a rookie to step in and play there either. If I had to pick who it's going to be to make an impact, well, we, look, as much as I just defended Tanner Pearson and Josh Levo, we all know this team needs another top six scorer. Like, that's not a secret. That's not a, a unpopular opinion. Mm. They have been searching high and low for years you know what does he what does even jim benning say every year i would like to add another top six winger yeah well you're probably going to do that through the draft you're not really going to be able to bring in another jt miller you just don't have the pieces to make a trade like that and there aren't jt millers just out there growing on trees either so you know you you really lucked out with that one but there isn't another piece like that unfortunately to add to your group um so it's going to be somebody through the draft and look if Pod Colson could be freed from his KHL contract, which I believe he wants and the team wants as well, yeah. to come over here next year, could he step in a year removed from his draft class and be an NHL player in the top six of this team? I don't know that I've seen enough of his game to definitively make that case, mm-hmm. but it's certainly possible. I think that skill set is what this top six is missing. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you had another guy with the creativity of an Elias Pettersson, it could be Niels Hoglander as well. Like, there's no, there's no kind of uh, prototype as far as scorer that this team can say no to. You know, like yeah. they need scoring help. They'll they find do. A squat, yeah. There are nights where this group as a whole can score eight goals. There are nights when this group as a whole can score nothing. You know, like mm-hmm. the. They're, they're all inconsistent. And, that, and like I said, that's always a mark of any scorer at any time. You just hope that your guys' spurts are coming in waves and they don't all dry up at once. But yes, this team could certainly use another 60-point player who can score you know, 30 goals a year or so. And of that bunch, who's it going to be? You know, When you look at what he can do, I have a feeling Hoglander can be that guy. Uh, depends on how he can adjust to the physicality of the NHL, perhaps. But he seems like a crafty player who's pretty good at using his size and speed to avoid contact. Yeah. I'm not really worried about him at the NHL level. I'm not necessarily really that worried about Pod Colson either. Like the the future of this team up front seems pretty good. It's like when we get two years in from now, and Alex Edler is looking at retirement, and Chris Tanev is perhaps I in the open market, it's the back end where you start to get worries in terms of who's going to step in and fill roles as time goes on here. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, that's probably why they go out and they you know take shots on Rafferty's or Tevez's and that. I mean, they need to actually start adding to that group. Um, Justin, before... They could have uh, drafted a defenseman last year, maybe. Might have been an idea. <laughs> yeah, might have been. I mean, look at Tony Udenen. I mean, that's a late-round pick who people are excited, I think, for. People are like, yeah, but, you know, juniors. What, they took... They took, what, like seven forwards and one goalie? Or was it eight forwards yeah. and one goalie last year? Yeah. Like, just was... how do you not have your eye on a single defenseman? Yeah, you know? exactly. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess college free agents was the way that they went last year. I mean, but, yeah. And, hey, it, it, it is paid crazy off. to they not draft Rafferty looks like a player, certainly. Yeah, but also, he's 24 in yeah. the AHL. He could be nothing I've heard well people say, time. you know, that he should come replace Troy Stetcher because he's a better prospect. He's one year younger and Troy Stetcher, which is ridiculous. Yeah, But yeah. Uh, the final thing I people, wanted to ask you... People are... I feel like Troy Stetcher has gone 
from underrated to so many people saying he's underrated to people thinking he's actually overrated <laughs> to enough people saying that he's overrated to being underrated again. That's that the horrible choice. That's cycle. your career arc right now. Just a horrible cycle to go through right there. <laughs> uh, Justin, one of the things I always loved uh, about your podcast, uh, especially Real Good, you guys used to get into it a lot, uh, was a lot of food takes. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, this is a Christmas time episode. Uh, we've had lots of crackers and cheese. I'm sure people have had turkey over the past little bit. But if there was one thing that all families would start doing for meals around Christmas time, what would you make that be? Ooh, ooh, that's a that's a great question. <laughs> there was one thing I felt was missing, but no, you know what? Maybe that's a Thanksgiving thing. I love Yorkshire puddings, oh, and yeah. I feel like <laughs> I feel like a, a Yorkshire pudding because you have all the fixins otherwise for what you would have with it. But I guess it's more of a roast beef thing. Mm. Because you need that beef gravy and Good not point. necessarily a turkey gravy. But I feel like if you have mashed potatoes and gravy, I'm always wondering, where's the where's the popover? Where's the Yorkshire pudding? Uh, but one thing that everyone should do. Um, hmm, you know what? I'm doing something a little different this year. We're having a number of Christmas dinners here as I am up the coast on Hornby Island with my family and uh, had the opportunity to choose between a roast lamb dinner this evening or island caught salmon that my dad caught himself. Hmm. And I had to think about that long and hard because it does feel like the roast dinner is more appropriate for this time of year. But I'm on the island and my dad caught the fish himself. So I do feel like I have to go the salmon way. And uh, so I'm just going to say, yeah, you know what? We're out here on the West Coast. I guess eat whatever you like, but enjoy (laughs) yourself some fish because it's not everybody who gets to eat this way, you know? When you live in the interior, when you live up north, I can speak from experience. Fresh caught fish is a luxury. And us Vancouverites, us, uh, you know, islanders, whatever the case may be, wherever you happen to be in the province listening to me, uh, take advantage of the fish that you have right outside your back door because <laughs> you don't miss it when you don't get to do it. I'll tell you that much. Well, I just I need to tweet out that quote. Take advantage of the fish you have, but Justin Moore said that's gonna be, that'll be the episode title right there. <laughs> uh, Justin, hey, I that, maybe the Canucks could stand to do a little bit of that too. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Hey, oh, here we go. <laughs> Stop filling up your roster with uh, you know uh, turnips and carrots and. <laughs> Bring on the Yorkshire's and salmon. sprouts, all that stuff. <laughs> Clear it a little room for some fresh-caught fish to make the plate is all I'm saying. <laughs> that's, uh, that's bang on. I wanted a food take. I got a food take. I appreciate it, Justin, uh, and I appreciate you coming on the show. I know that down the road we are going to have some more guests on, so maybe we can sneak in with quads and me. Hey, I'm just glad that you guys have, uh, have found each other in this <laughs> great uh, content creation uh galaxy that we live in here uh covering the canucks the fact that you guys are you know forming a steady duo and and that line that you wrote in your announcement that that the two of you want to work together for years and years down the road finding your broadcast partner before the two of you even begin (laughs) broadcasting school i'd say uh you're in a very favorable spot and i look forward to what the future brings for the both of you down the line because uh, I gotta get you on locked on Canucks one of these days Chris I don't know how we haven't 
made that happen yet. I just you you brought me on my show or your show to yell at you. I guess <laughs> I'll have you on locked on Canucks so you can yell right back. At I'll come. Me. I'll come tell you that Cole Lynch should be on that second line though when I come onto the show. <laughs> awesome, Jess. Well, I appreciate every conversation, bud. And, and and you know, over the past year, it's been uh, it's been nice to be able to know that you're just a text away uh, for a lot of help with podcasting or even like learning the city and stuff. And I just appreciate uh, all the stuff that you've done for me in the last year and a half of creating this content, man. I appreciate it. Hey, man, you know, you said in your little write-up there, uh, everybody's doing their part to step in and fill the role that Jason Botchford might have filled, right? And whether that is creating something uh, to, you know, be enjoyed by this market, uh, if you can find an audience for it, or whether that is, uh, you know, being there to be a helpful person whenever somebody needs help. You know, there's there's all kinds of roles that that Botch used to fill, and we all got to be there for each other. I think that's... uh, that's been part of the last little bit here, right? So yeah, whatever I can do to help, man, I'm looking forward to having you in the lower mainland as well. So, you know, I'm not just a text away. I can be a stone's throw away. We can go out and grab some beers, you and me. So Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Very excited for that. Actually, just before we close out, uh, do you want to talk about the Christmas present for Corey Hirsch? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I hope that, that he has received it by the time uh, – this episode drops, uh, Chris. I'm not sure that he will have yet. I, it's, that's on me. I brought it in a couple days late uh, because I had some extra work to do, but I think he will appreciate that work when he finally does receive the present. Look, um, I think our office Secret Santa is very much similar to a lot of office Secret Santas and workplace you know, Secret Santas. You, you draw these people from a draw. You don't really know what to get them. Because maybe you don't know everybody personally as well as you might like. And you've got a certain uh, dollar limit on how much you can spend on them. So everybody just, you know, goes to the liquor store, buys a nice (laughs) bottle of booze, and it's basically uh, just a booze swap for every single person in the building. That tends to be what Secret Santa typically is. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this time around, uh, I don't know that Corey Hirsch is a... As much of a of a liquor guy, I don't know that he drinks all that much, which is fine. Yep. I wish I didn't drink all that much. <laughs> My head over the last couple of days certainly wishes I drank less uh, over Christmas, certainly. But uh, you know, Corey is a guy who's a big time uh, advocate for mental health causes, and uh, you know, goes out there and, and meets with school kids and tells them that uh, the things that are going on in their heads are actually perfectly natural and okay and and beyond their control, and they don't need to worry about them and. Uh, you can get help, and you can you can beat these things, and and have a a good quality of life, and you know so on, etc. And that's a wonderful message, and I very much admire him for the mental health work that, that he does. As someone personally who suffers from uh, anxiety and depression at times, it's uh, very nice to know someone who's out there fighting that fight to destigmatize the things that we battle through. But Corey is uh, somebody who has. Uh, anxiety and OCD, so I thought I would put together a nice little kit for him f- for like uh, you know a quiet night in. So mm-hmm. I got him uh, some caffeine-free tea and a nice beeswax candle and <laughs> uh, and some essential oils with like cotton ball diffusers. And I put that together, and I thought it was a nice, thoughtful gift. And then I was like, it's kind of boring, though, right? <laughs> Just to get like a candle and some tea for Santa for yeah. Secret Santa. That's not. It's not the greatest gift in the world, I suppose. But uh, I saw on Twitter um, my friend Myra, uh, who you know was just out and about doing her Christmas shopping, I think, was at London Drugs and posted a photo laughing at the fact that they had an assortment 
of NHL Funko Pops priced oh, to clear because <laughs> no one wanted them. So she was yucking it up that, like, you know, come on down to London Drugs and buy yourself a $4 Devin Dubnik vinyl figure. And I saw that photo and I was like, you know what? I suddenly instantly feel inspired here. Despite the fact that I have not painted anything or done really anything artistic in a good, I don't know, many, many years outside of school projects, perhaps. Like, you'd have to go back... 20 or 21 years to, you know, the, when I was painting, like, Warhammer figures as a child. <laughs> um, I just got the idea that I could take that Devin Dubnik, that red-headed goalie figure, and completely customize it into a custom Corey Hirsch. And it took a good long while. I had to pop the head off of the thing so that I could completely repaint the body into a black skate jersey. But, uh, you know, put the name bar on there, put the numbers on there. Put a put a black skate logo on it. Painted the whole thing. Uh, covered it with kind of a you know a matte finish sealer so that the paint didn't chip off. And yeah, I gifted uh, Corey a a custom painted Corey Hirsch vinyl figure. Uh, repainted the entire thing basically, even the eyes as well. So, uh, so I'm very awesome. pleased with how it turned out, and I have a feeling he's going to like it too. But as you and I speak, he has yet to receive it. I have a feeling. That'll, uh, that'll make quite a splash on Canucks Twitter when it finally is unveiled. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's I just remember seeing the pictures of it. I couldn't I couldn't hold it. Like it was absolutely hilarious how you changed it over and you know that's you know, Corey's gonna be so jacked up, obviously, just getting you know, the stuff that you included with the gift, but the fact that you found that Funko Pop, is that what it's called? I don't even know what it's called. Yeah. Okay, Funko so, Pops. Yeah. yeah. So Vin- Funko vinyl Pop. figures. Yeah, it's just the fact that, you know, that he's gonna get that in the Canucks jersey, man. He's gonna he's gonna absolutely love it. Oh, you yeah, know what though? Awesome. It's even more tied to him because Devin Dubnik, uh, a former member of the Kamloops Blazers, just ah. like Corey Hirsch. So you know, the fact that I saw that Dubnik face and I was like, I don't have to change the hair at all. <laughs> that job is done. I just need to change the body seem perfect so i don't know i really enjoyed making it and uh you know what i already showed it to alex old he was blown away as well yeah. and i told him you better like it pal because you're next <laughs> now that i've got the taste for it now that i know what i'm doing i, I really actually enjoyed it as kind of an art project just painting this thing for a couple days something to work on and take my mind off things right yeah. it was nice well it's funny how that works i mean cory hirsch obviously a good guy for mental health like you mentioned there and you know an advocate for it and maybe this is something that helped you just kind of relax a little bit as well well, it's kind of funny how that came around. Yeah, so, you know, look forward to uh, this one being a success, and we'll see if I can paint Alex Ald as well down the <laughs> line. I asked him, do you want your navy jersey or your white jersey? And he told me, hey, you're the artist, man. It's your call. You do whatever you like. Uh, awesome. That's perfect. I'll, I'll throw that right into, like, the middle of the episode there, Just That's perfect. We'll just uh, we'll do a little conclusion, and then, uh, yeah, we'll call sure. it. Cool. Sure, sure. All right, Justin, thanks a ton for doing this, man. I uh, really appreciate uh, all the help you've given me over the year a bit here. I'm excited to move into the future and uh, excited that you were able to join us here for one of the final episodes of Canucks Conversation in its format. Hey, man, glad to do it. And look at you, bud. Look at you. <laughs> you got yourself a sponsor, a, a beer company, hooking up with hooking up with free brews and, you know, uh, Maybe a little money on top of that. Who knows? I don't know what the particulars of your deal are, but you got a sponsorship. You're getting free beer. You found yourself a partner in crime, and you're moving over to the city. I would say uh, podcasting has treated you very well, Chris, and we will see what the future holds. Looking forward to uh, whatever you end up doing down the line once you're out of BCIT. But I, I can tell you right now, 
you're going to have a blast there at BCIT. It's a lot of work as it's happening, but yeah. uh, I look back on that time in my life as like some of the fondest years that I have to look back on, and I still keep up with the crew of boys that I I went through that school with so you're gonna make yourself some friendships that'll last you a lifetime and uh, you're gonna have a ball doing it as well uh i'm so excited for you that you get to do that because you know i think you know as well as anyone as you get into this industry that it is a a difficult industry uh to to make it in and and it is getting more difficult by the day cuts all over the place jobs disappearing but um you know, you, you've made a name for yourself before you even enter the industry, and that's very impressive, so congratulations to you, and uh, you seem like the kind of guy with uh, the right head on your shoulders here. You know, um, Lena <laughs> Sategian, who works at 650 Now and was uh, uh, someone who did kind of remote production for 1040 for a couple years there, was an old friend of mine. We worked at the same brewery together back in North Van for several years, and she came to me when she wanted to get into the industry as well, and my advice to her was, don't do it. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's more difficult than you think, and it can be miserable as you wait for things to happen that do not happen, but, uh, you know, she did it anyways, and it's turned out pretty well for her so far. And if you, you know, have the right mindset, the right attitude, the right work ethic and talent, uh, you know, maybe maybe it is a little bit better than <laughs> I want to tell people when they ask me if they should do this or not. But, I'll, uh, uh, I'll be sure to finish the conversation with Ryan Schaap about this, because when we did meet for beers in Vancouver, it was, don't do it. It's what Ryan said, I think, at the time as well. <laughs> but, you, but you know what? I am... Having said that to Lena and watched what she's done, I cannot say the same thing to you. And I have to tell you, like, yes, BCIT is going to be very expensive. Uh, They're going to make you pay to go do work placements in other places, especially in second year. You're going to wonder yourself, what the heck am I even paying you for? You're just sending me off to intern and work for free in a bunch (laughs) of newsrooms. I'm not being taught anything in a classroom. (laughs) It's just the same price as first year was. But you're going to have a tremendous experience. And um, I'm I'm envious that you get to go through that process, even if that process was not always kind to me. You're going to have a great time, man. It's going to be great. Yeah, thanks, man. I'm super excited for it. And uh, i got to start learning my way around Vancouver. I'm still so damn nervous. People are like, oh, Burnaby to Surrey. I, I literally don't even know how far that is away from each other because, yeah, I'm sure I'll figure it it's out. It's not close. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Justin, I appreciate you coming back on, man. And, uh, yeah, like I said, we'll have to do this down the road, you, me, and Quads, for a little uh, trio episode. Yeah, sounds good, but I'm just glad that you obeyed my rider once again. <laughs> Contractually obligated to be followed by Ryan Schaap on the podcast. I would not do the show if you did not agree to my terms of bringing the Shap Daddy on after me. So uh, thank you for for finding a little time for him on this big marquee episode as well with all these big shots coming up here next week. Uh, I'll let him know that you snuck in behind your shadow uh, to get on the show this week. (laughs) 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 All right, talk to you later, Justin. Appreciate it, buddy. And thank you very much to Justin Morissette for joining us there for that first conversation. Let's get to our second conversation now with Ryan Shap. All right, guys, joining me now for the second conversation. You can find him podcasting on the Pucks on Net CA Twitter account is the name for the podcast called Pucks on Net. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Shaptop. How you doing, Ron? 
Babe, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and hope you're uh, enjoying as much as I am. I have been. It's been a good time right now, and I'm excited to get you back on here. I told Justin this when he came on, um, and I wanted to tell you as well, you're one of the guys that got me into podcasting and getting to the point now where I'm going to BCIT. It's uh, it's pretty exciting because I know I had this conversation with you maybe about a year and a half ago, I think, over a couple of luckies uh, asking you about BCIT and the whole situation. No, it's fantastic, and it's, uh, it's a program that is... Uh, it's, you know, taking this career path, it's really easy to talk yourself out of, but to take the plunge, it's, it's rewarding as hell, and, and you're going to work your ass off, and, you, you know, knowing your luck and the way you pull things off, you're going to you're gonna do just fine, and you're going to meet a lot of people, and a lot of people are going to help you along the way, and you're, you're pro- you'll probably take to it like a duck to water, so it's, I think it's a great thing for you, I think it's a great thing you're doing that. I appreciate that. And uh, I need to ask for some advice, Ryan, because uh, you have had some excellent co-hosts with you on the Pucks on that. You guys have been doing it for like seven years now, or is it eight years? Uh, we're midway through our seventh season. So you guys are, so seven years, and you've had some great co-hosts with you. I just brought on a co-host for the first time. I'm going to be with David Quadrelli moving forward on this show. What are some good tips for having a long-standing relationship with your co-host? My, my advice for, uh, uh, for a long-standing relationship with hosts is uh, be patient and find, you know, be, you know, eat a couple of shit sandwiches when it comes time to scheduling and just, just got to remember that these people want to do the show with you too and things don't always work out. It's, you know, things will work out. So just be patient and just stay calm and, and you should be just fine. <laughs> all right. I, I will uh, take that into consideration. Quadrelli's a pretty easygoing guy, so I think we should work all right together. But, you know, we're just excited to be able to be in the same room. Obviously, you know, I've done my conversations with you in the past with this show. Uh, but you know what it's like when you're in the same room with some people. It's just a different feel to podcasting, right? Oh, yeah. You just you can make eye contact <laughs> and you can acknowledge them in person instead of trying to make a joke and then, you know, butting in. And if you're on Skype, you're delayed and it's just a clusterfuck. So, yeah, it's, it makes it a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys just went through your seventh year, like you mentioned. So your seventh annual Christmas party. Uh, what were some of the highlights of the Christmas party? Because we all, well, I know I heard the episode. I know a lot of people listen to this show also listen to your show. So what were some of the highlights from uh, from the night that maybe didn't get onto the recording? You know, it was it was a pretty tame night. Um, last it, last year was the real piss up one. That's where we had the generic tab going with our fine Patreon dollars, and <laughs> and as soon as uh, hilariously enough, the person I was just talking to talking to you before me, Justin and his buddy showed up. Uh, next thing you know, everybody's trying to see how fast they can uh, they can drink a beer and how many they can drink in the in a short time span so this year was a lot more tame the hangover was a lot uh a lot less or minuscule but it was just a, it was a good turnout um i was amazed that everybody had uh ruining christmas stories that was the theme of our show this year was telling stories about times you've ruined christmas either as a as an adult or you know more more enjoyably as a kid because nobody wants to hear the, the story about you having a bit too much wine before dinner and and shooting your mouth off, so I was amazed because I I have a storied history of ruining Christmas. It's just really getting a little overzealous, or maybe going into business for myself and thinking that uh, you know what I want, you know, won't upset the others. And that's usually hasn't been the case. So to have a big group of people that have also ruined Christmas, it really warmed my heart. So then Chris, I'll ask you, like. Have you ruined a Christmas? <laughs> I I was I wanted to bring it up, and I think I appreciate you asking because I when I was listening to the show, I don't think I've ruined a Christmas, but I do remember 
So I don't know what year it was, but Guitar Hero 3 came out, and it was like the yeah. best Christmas present again. I got Guitar Hero 3, I was so excited. So I played it for probably the next eight hours, like straight, Guitar Hero 3. I, the day that I started, I was playing on beginner or whatever the easiest one was, and by the end of the day, I was playing on expert. So I was, I was obsessed with the game, and I remember going to sleep that night, and I closed my eyes, and all I could see was those fucking notes just like coming oh, down yeah. with my eyes closed and like I like ruined the sleep for that night so that's the only one I can think of about ruining Christmas because uh yeah all I saw for like the whole night that night was trying to sleep with the fucking notes coming down from Guitar Hero 3 of like raining blood for metal like just the brutal brutal notes coming down at that point but it was that's the only one I thought of I know you guys had a couple of decent ones as well on the show well, I guess you just, you know, like you've got a bit of a halo over your head, and you're just a, a good, sweet boy that's not ripping presents open early, or, or going to, <laughs> going to, you know, dive through mom and dad's room to find your bullshit that you've gotten, so kudos to you. Yeah, well, I did have a, a brother who's one year younger than me, and also, you know, not as smart as me, so I would get him to do those things for me, I guess, and get the information out of him. Oh! Yeah! Well, <laughs> Jesus, well, being the youngest, I mean, I, I didn't have that option, so <laughs> Kudos to you on that one, pal. So what? Uh, we uh, we just kind of finished the conversation with Justin, and we were talking a little bit about uh, some of the food that goes around around Christmas time. And I'm going to kind of ask you the same question as well, because we see lots of crackers and cheese and those spreads for appetizers. Uh, we see, obviously, yeah. turkey and the, the usual, the ham and all that stuff. But if you had it your way, what would be a Christmas tradition for the food on the table, whether it be the appetizer nights on Christmas Eve or the major dinner on Christmas night? Um, I don't know. I'm pretty content with uh, with a turkey dinner and a, a goddamn dollop of gravy and mm-hmm. mashed potatoes just to, to seal it off. I'm not I'm not too crazy on on foods. The, uh, you know, uh, my family has a tradition where they make a bunch of uh, uh, brandy Alexanders, which are we put a bunch of ice in a blender and you put you put brandy and cream de cacao and a bunch of half and half cremo in there. Okay, and it's fucking they're delicious and huh. they're pretty strong so you got to drink them as like a little oh like i don't know what they're called like let me a little brandy glass with a little small one yeah. and those have been a those are those are definitely our family tradition um <laughs> that i and we were we were putting those back on on christmas night and uh, that that's my go-to and that's my one thing that i want to make sure that i i keep going but other than that i, I mean just give me it just give me a plate full of food that's going to put me to sleep but, I'll be, I'll be good to go. <laughs> <laughs> this is the the first year, I think, that I've actually like made a conscious decision to not eat anything except for mashed potatoes, turkey, gravy, and stuffing. Like That was all I had on my plate. I didn't fuck around with any of the carrots or any of the bullshit on the side. Like This year, I, I had a goal, and I achieved it this year by eating just the biggest <laughs> plate of mashed potatoes and stuffing you could ever see. What time did you fall asleep at? Oh God! If you combine it with uh, if you combine it with the sober dinner that we had, like I just mentioned to you before we started recording, it was pretty damn early on Christmas Day because uh, I was up for six o'clock for the Russia game on Boxing Day. So that probably tells you enough right there. It was probably for the yeah, you know, that food coma worked out, you know, twofold, and you know, you got what you needed the next day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely did. Speaking speaking of uh, World Juniors, have you uh, tuned in a little bit here to see what's been happening with these Canucks prospects? It's been pretty amazing to see. Um, I I caught most of the uh, the replay of I actually watched most of the replay of the USA Canada game, mm-hmm. and I didn't I didn't see uh, I, I, what's his name what's the, what's the Russian kid's name that got drafted? Uh, Pod Colson. Yeah, I heard he had a good game, yeah, and then 
the, the guy, the Swedish guy, Holinger. I always, I always see you tweeting about him, and I can never remember how to pronounce his name. <laughs> I, I just learned it, so I, I had to like, uh, <laughs> watch some YouTube videos on how to pronounce yeah. that O with the two dots on it. And after watching a few <laughs> of those videos, I learned that it's kind of like it's like Huglander. It's like a U oh, sound okay. almost, I guess. They said it was like a U and an I together. So, yeah, I'm, I'm saying Huglander, but I mean that lacrosse goal. That's that was insane. Yeah, he like you know there there is a hell of a lot of good positive um, from the Canucks and, the, and those two guys and their prospects there. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple of kids like that Pinto kid for Team USA that's yeah. drafted by Ottawa was like I kind of had my eye on him the whole game. And then um, LaFerriere, or however you pronounce it, number yeah. 11 for Canada, who's letting go first in the draft. Like, you know, you just kind of like, oh, <laughs> this is get, this is really easy for these guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, yeah. watching him uh, is unreal. I, go on. Yeah, just watching Lafreniere, I mean, like, the fact that he's doing that at 17, he puts up four points, and, I, like, it, it's funny because, like, he puts up four points against the USA, and that would have been so huge if it was, like, the New Year's Eve game. But I wonder if it's, like, people aren't even, like, talking about him enough because he did that in the opening game of the tournament. It's that. It's also these games are 10 o'clock in the morning, our right. time Pacific, which is always the – it's a bit of a crappy thing for uh, for World Juniors when they're, not, when they're not in North America. But, I mean, it's um, – this, this tour – or, sorry, this tournament always seems to uh, – pick up a lot of steam as the games go on and by New Year's Eve everybody's pretty amped up and you kind of know what the team looks like and, yeah. and who to watch for and everything kind of starts to look a little, looks a little more uh, outlined so yeah the, the first game I mean remember last year the first game Canada played here in Vancouver was like a I don't know, 15 to nothing <laughs> yeah. blow just like and you're so amped up because like, <laughs> there hasn't been hockey for a couple days you've been cooped up with your family for like three days you know like, I just want to watch Reasonably good hockey, and it's just you know they just you know the horn is out of order at Rogers Arena. <laughs> yeah, they, so, that's something this, you it was a great a game last night. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just watching these teams, it's gonna you know obviously start cranking up a little bit into the future. And the Canucks have four prospects in here with uh, uh, Plastic, uh, Utenen, Huglander, and Pod Colson. I mean, the the craziest thing I saw was like watching Pod Colson play, like. And if he is going to be in the KHL next year, as his contract kind of states, I guess I don't really know how that even works. But you know, he's trying to get out of it. But if he is, he'll be back here next year in that tournament. Like already being one of the better players in this tournament, I could just imagine what that kid's going to do next year if he gets back to this. Well, he um, there's that positive where I remember, I remember reading somewhere that he either either turned down or or talked his way out of some sort of five year deal with his KHL team mm. after getting drafted by Vancouver. So like. There is a positive, and this is the KHL. If you just give them a bag of damp, wet, untraceable money, like <laughs> he can play in Vancouver next year. These are things that can easily be taken care of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that seems like Francesco Aglini is the right guy for the job uh, to pull that off. Uh, <laughs> so maybe he does get over here next year. And you know, a lot of people are excited because they they would love to see a guy like Pod Colson, who's supposed to be this power forward, you know, absolute bull of a player, be playing with a guy like Bo Horvat. But I, I don't know if enough people are saying, you know, maybe that type of player would fit nicely with Pedersen and Besser. So for you, do you think that that power forward fits better with the Horvat line, or do you think you'd like to see him play with Petey and Brock? I don't know, because, like, like JT Miller right now isn't the biggest, toughest, ruffle-tumble guy, but he's able to keep up and have the same mind for the game to some capacity as, like, as Besser and Pedersen. And I, if, if 
so I really like that line and to keep that intact and finally have that chemistry because you're gonna then or else you turn into what's happening with Bo where you have five thousand different line mates. Yeah. So if he came in and he found chemistry and Bo likes playing with the bigger guys, you know the the you know sandpaper guys like Purcell or, or Tanner Pearson, like if it works, like if I all I care about is if a guy like him can can play at the NHL play at his at his best at the NHL level. I don't care if he plays in the on the fourth line as long as he's <laughs> playing and chipping in. But I, uh, you know what? If if he's out there making room and, and able to, to to read off of Petey as well as, as JT Miller or how even Besser does, like yeah, slot him in. Like I'm I'm open to having as many lines. You know, call me kooky, call me crazy, but I just want a team with you know more than one line that can score. <laughs> I don't. I hear that's how you win the Stanley Cup, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you sound like a Vancouver Canucks fan for sure if you talk like that. The, <laughs> the, the funny thing about, like, these players coming in, and a lot of people have been, you know, when people are replying to tweets, and I see a lot of it on Twitter, a lot of people are like, what kind of move can Jim Benning make to get that top six forward? What can he do right now? But, like, the thing that I'm saying is, like, I think the only way to really fix this top six is to just be patient, right? I mean that's probably where you're going to get your top six players from is from the draft. And when you see Huglander scored the, probably the nicest goal of the tournament on the opening day and you see Pod Colson score and dominate, it seems like, like, do you think that people just need to start believing more in patience with this team or like, cause I know Jim Benning's kind of pigeonholed himself into a spot right now where he can't really make a move and go out and get a player. It just seems like we kind of, the only option is to be patient right now. Well, what top six guy is available at a, a non-offensive price that you would possibly want Jim Benning to go out and get? Yeah. I can't. I can't think of somebody that would make sense for all parties involved. And like, are you like if you're looking for like we said, are, you, are they are they wanting a rental? Are they wanting Taylor Hall? But Taylor Hall three years ago, like, mm. yeah, be patient. Like you, like there isn't anything wrong with the top six. What's wrong with this team is the goddamn bottom six, which apparently has forty five people in. <laughs> like uh, last, last time I checked, you know, you've got one of the most dynamic players in the NHL in in Pedersen, who's playing who's playing fantastic with with Miller, who you can you can you can piss and moan about what a first round draft pick is worth you know, this year or next. But that line with Besser, like that's that's magic, and like yeah. there's nothing wrong with that line. You want that li- that line works. That line is worth worth every penny. The only grief is you have a second line of 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 anybody because you know I don't know, I think it's Bo's problem I don't think it's anybody's problem but they just haven't found that magic fit of of guys that are going to fit in uh, that can play or they're going to have a, a constant role in the second line and and with a team like if you've got a bunch of guys competing for a second line winger spot like that's a good thing you don't want to have you know a, a, sec- a first and second line figured out and then just like trying to stick people wherever like if a bunch of guys are producing with Bo like that's that's all that's good for me yeah, exactly. It seems like it almost you almost feel bad for him because like that was something that we've talked about for years. Like, oh, can we just you know for the last couple of years specifically, like can we just find the wingers? And we had a Berchi, we had Brock Besser, and like then Petey comes in, and everyone just wants to play with Petey at that point. It's almost like Brock Bo Horvat's almost being the forgotten stepchild at some point with that second line. That's exactly what happened. It's like, well, he's he's better than you, so they're going <laughs> to play with you. But I know you spent the last year and a half, two years playing with him, but. 
you understand. Okay, don't you kid? All right, great. Yeah, here's here's the C. Yeah. You go have fun with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I want to ask a little bit about another young player who's been stepping up. Obviously scored a huge goal in the Canucks' last game against Edmonton with Quinn Hughes. Uh, just looking at his last six games, he's averaging over 24 minutes of ice time. Uh, over these past six games, which is insane to think about, that you know a kid who who just turned was it nineteen now or twenty? Yeah, he just turned twenty is doing that for this Canucks team. And, and Ryan, I know you've been following this team for a long time. You know about the history of this team a lot as well. Uh, has like has there ever been a defenseman that's even like is Quinn Hughes? Like, can you call him the best defenseman of Canucks history yet? Like, just from what he's doing in his rookie season, or is that just way way too early so far? Well, I mean, it's way too early, but the the, the uh, argument is like. If you think like I think we've had the question a couple times on our show, like yeah. what defenseman of the in the past would you wish that was on the team now? And you look at the Canucks, and it's like, well, Matthias Olin, and well, <laughs> uh, maybe your like like Matthias Olin is the constant, and that was the underappreciated guy that was like surprisingly a wall there for his entire tenure in Vancouver, yeah. and he was just not not as flashy as. Uh, so he he didn't get the recognition or the attention, and then as soon as he's gone for you know ten years or so, you're like, well, Jesus Christ, that's the exact type of defenseman that the Canucks have been wanting mm-hmm. and needing more or less ever since he left. But like, like Quinn Hughes is fucking ridiculous. And like, <laughs> you're talking about his last five games. He played 28 minutes against the Habs uh, on the 17th. Like, like he's like when when you know the. The fans are, believe it or not, but, you know, Canucks fans are divided in terms of, you know, just sheer anger against whether, you know, whatever side of the fan base you're on. But, like, like, Quinn Hughes is just, like, that's just a tremendous, like, there's nothing to complain about. There's nothing to get, like, that is just an incredible player. And I just, like, you can watch him on the power play and the way he protects the puck and he plays off it, like, you like he, it seems like he has all the time in the world to make a play and, and, and maneuver in a phone booth and you haven't seen that in players in on in a Canucks uniform and yeah. in a, on the back end forever like or ever and it's just he's tremendous and the yeah. guy's got twenty seven points in thirty seven <laughs> games as a rookie like it's it's all found money it's just like. Smile and enjoy that, man. Holy hell. So I say, like, my favorite pick of that draft was Barry Hayden going number five because <laughs> that just literally opened the door for Quinn Hughes. It's probably my best draft pick of all time. Has to be that Barry Hayden pick at five. And just, you know, seeing what Quinn Hughes has been able to do. You, you mentioned it, the 28 minutes that he played. Uh, he played 27, which was a career high before that 28-minute game. Uh, does does that worry you a little bit, that he's playing that much minutes? Or do you think that this kid already is capable of doing things like this? Well, that's the, that's the, the biggest, you know, current concern for Canucks fans is how much Travis Green is playing his, his best players because they are, you know, you, I can't think of a team that's wanted or needed this this Christmas break more than the Canucks. I mean, yeah. like, they finish off a they ran lost three wins that they had to win, but that's another conversation. <laughs> but, like, he he comes in, and he's a, he's a college kid, so, you know, there are positives to playing in the Canadian Hockey League, and there are positives to playing in, in American colleges, and you know, one of the one of the positives of, of playing in the in, in the CHL is you get your reps in and you're playing every night and you're in the buses and you're you're building up a callus and a tolerance to playing a shitload of hockey. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he doesn't he doesn't have that now. It's a much different NHL than it was ten or fifteen years ago. And if he can stay healthy, like yeah, he might get a little burnout, but I mean, he's got that skill. He's he's swimming in skill and talent. And I think he can make up for it a couple of nights a week if he's a little burnt out. Like, 
it's all about just him staying healthy. And from the most part, he's looked very good through 37 games. I'm not. I'm not too worried. I'm not too. I'm yeah. more worried about the top line getting burnt out because they're getting played in every situation, and it just looks like Patterson loses about 15 pounds a night the amount, the amount he's playing. It's going through that last minute boxing cut or something. Some games, it's, <laughs> with uh, yeah, with Quinn Hughes. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have liked him with Chris Tanev. Obviously, there's been you know, say what you want about Tyler Myers, he is pretty damn good at moving the puck up ice uh, at times. Uh, so, with you, is it is it Tanev or is it Myers or is there another option that you would like to see Hughes play with? Man, I don't like. I mean, he's been producing consistently all year, and he's been playing with different guys throughout the year. So. I mean, I don't give a shit as long as he keeps improving and he keeps and that and that whatever pair he's with keeps staying smart on the puck and, and not making costly mistakes. Like, yeah, I'm playing wherever, playing with Fantenberg for all I care. He's also stealing jobs. <laughs> yeah, no, Fantenberg has been damn good as well. I did with okay, so we we traded for a first round pick for JT Miller. Um, have it. I think a lot of people were against the trade. I think I remember hearing you talk about saying it was too expensive on your show as well, which I think 95% of Canucks fans or logical Canucks fans were saying. Uh, right now, when you look at it, is it still too early to see what the return might be uh, for the JT Miller? Obviously, that first-round pick could turn into something very high or it could be something like a late first-round pick. But just seeing what he's been able to do and actually get to see him on like a nightly basis, uh, like what's the deal with the JT Miller trade at this point in the trade right now? I mean, I'm not. I'm not complaining about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's a lottery protected. It's a lottery protected pick, which is as good as it gets. But I mean, like, he, the way he's playing. I mean, everybody will get up and arms about this, but like, I mean, he had a he had a piss poor time playing third or fourth banana in Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. and he wasn't playing to his full potential. And and I think that the cur if if this JT Miller was being traded for. This year, I think that he yeah. would be going for a little bit more than what Jimbo gave up for him in the summer. And that's just my opinion. And but like it's they are he is worth it. I have no real bones about it. Like yeah, obviously you don't want to give a first round pick, but I mean when when a guy like JT Miller at his age in his prime and has a lot left in the tank and can find chemistry and play long term if possible with those boys, like that that's a positive. That's what you want. And, you know, you can, you know, now it's funny, Jim Benning's big win of his, of his, of his tenure as GM was getting Sven Berchi for a second. Like, man, what a great, what a great deal that was. And then all of a sudden this year, the narrative changed. And now it's because Rasmus Anderson was yeah. the player that the Flames picked with that second round pick. And now he's playing, you know, big minutes with the Flames on the, on the Flames uh, as a defenseman, like. Yeah, trade. You know, when you're trading futures for presents, like it's going to be a good deal for us. You know, it, it could fluctuate. You know, in a moment's notice. And like, yeah, Tampa Bay, who's a pretty goddamn smart hockey team with a good scouting system and, and good hockey mind, they could use they could use that JT Miller pick and get one hell of a player out of it. It's mm-hmm. just like that's just that's just the nature of the business. Yeah, I, I think I just looked it up the other day because I got the third round pick as well. Uh, so I guess this helps JT Miller's case that the th- I think the third round pick hasn't played 
in the NCAA or something this year. I can't remember exactly what it was, but if you want to support that case, I guess the third rounder has turned into nothing so far, uh, which which is good for JT Miller and Benning supporters at this point. Um, one of the I wanted to ask you, uh, Ryan, because you guys with Pucks on Net, you guys obviously are out of Vancouver. You talked a lot about the Vancouver Canucks, but you guys cover the whole league. Uh, so right now, at the Christmas break, who do you think is the front runner for the Stanley Cup? Well, I mean, who's in last place right now? That's, <laughs> Detroit. How, you pick, that's how you pick champs now. <laughs> Detroit Red Wings are going to do it. They're going to fire their coach. They're going to get some old guy that used to play for him, and it's going to be great. <laughs> uh, man, uh, I don't know. Like Babcock back like, in Detroit. You're calling it here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Steve Eiserman, you know, he's a good hockey mind. He, <laughs> he'll know what to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, after after, I'm not saying the the West just got very interesting, and once Taylor Hall went to Arizona, and everybody made the uh, odd comparisons to uh, the Raptors getting Kawhi for one year, and everybody <laughs> coming in for one year at a good team, and that and that's just, that's a very good hockey team. But I mean, if you if you were twisting my arm right now, like. Like Boston's probably coming out of the out of the East, especially once they beat uh, Toronto in, in six <laughs> or seven games in the first round. Yeah, uh, Tampa Bay is still like five five six points out of the playoffs right now, and I mean they're that's a team and they're supposed to turn it on, and oh we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out this year. So like man, like give me Boston, give me Colorado. Colorado's wouldn't one of my picks since we we did our season preview show. Yeah. And throw Arizona in there. Like, there's a lot of good teams, but I, I, I could see, I could see the the cup staying in the West. I, uh, but that's my, those are my, uh, my mid, my mid year uh, bullshit predictions. As, uh, as we're doing bullshit predictions, uh, Canucks playoff this year, where like we're we're sitting at a record where I think a lot of people would have probably expected them to be around at this point, but a lot of people were also expecting them to be a bubble team for the playoffs. So right now, if you had to decide. Do you think they're going in, or do you think they're not making it? Um, I was pretty pissed off last week when they when they lost those two games in California to San Jose and Vegas, and then Arizona went out and got Taylor Hall. I'm like, there's no way the Canucks are making the playoffs. Yeah. But um, I mean, if we learned anything from the last couple of years, is you know, it's you know, the injuries happen, momentum swings happen, coaches get fired, teams go on runs. And if the Canucks hadn't have won those three games in a row right before Christmas, uh, my, all my hope would be gone. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I still feel I feel like they're that they could make it. I'm not. If you want, if I was to have to put money on it right now, I'd probably say no. Yeah. But there's teams like Nashville or Nashville still iffy. Minnesota, I don't believe in. They just got hot behind a hot goalie. Um, and Edmonton is so fucking streaky, and they and all it, all it's going to take is for somebody else in the Pacific to get a little bit better, and they're going to start toppling. Mm-hmm. And that and they have two they have two players they can't they can't and if they ride in the playoffs, they're going to burn out like Colorado did two years ago. So if I'm going to say no to the playoffs, but um, I really plan I plan to be horribly wrong. About that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, a lot of people are taking that approach. And you know, in the end, if they miss, it's it's a hell of a draft. We're seeing what these junior kids are doing in the World Juniors right now. I mean, it's it's incredible to see the talent between these seventeen and eighteen year old kids. Um, as as we're kind of wrapping up here, Ryan, I got to tell you. So I'm moving over to the mainland. I think uh, you think you know this. <laughs> so I'm moving over to the mainland here uh, <laughs> next week, and I'm very excited. I 
to get over in the main line, a lot more stuff to do. But I wanted to, to throw a pitch your way here, so I'm, a, I'm wondering if you'll listen to my pitch. Oh, no. Yes, okay. So, Ryan, I know that you are on the shitty Beatles softball team. <laughs> oh, okay, now you got my, now you got my. And I just wanted to throw it out there that I did get a scholarship to Jarvis Christian School out of high school to go down and play baseball, and I'm looking for a slow pitch team in the summer. <laughs> uh, and that's it. I've already courted you to be our designated hitter, our big bat. I was. I've always been a DH my whole life. <laughs> All right. Well, um, with a sales pitch like that, I can once I tell once I talk to my esteemed associates on the team, I don't think there would be a problem to bring in a ringer such as yourself. So consider it likely a like uh, likely a uh, uh, just a matter of time. Okay. So likely is not good enough for me. I will tell you that Parallel Forty Nine Brewing Company beer. The best beer in the world, of course. We'll provide probably some beers here and there about it, so I feel like that likely might push up a little bit. Well, we already have a beer sponsor. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> well, you can right. play. I'm just, I mean, you, it's <laughs> like once I tell, hey, I got this random guy who's really good, can he join? You never, you never, you never assume things. You no. wait until it's a matter of fact. That's like you. You had a big announcement on Boxing Day. You, you didn't share it until it was official, and then, you know, if you did or you teased it, you'd look like a schmuck. So yeah, true. You just wait. You just sit back. But, I mean, if I was to be a betting man, I would say that the Canucks will not be playing in the playoffs, and if I was a betting man, I'd be saying that you would be playing first base for the shitty Beetle. That's what I'm talking about, man. You need a big 6-4 lefty in there. Oh, a lefty? <laughs> That's what I'm oh. talking about. Neighbor, now we're talking. Now we're sold. All right, Ryan, I appreciate you uh, coming back on the show. And um, as, as I mentioned, I just wanted to say thanks because, you know, it's it's been great to have your phone number and just be able to bounce some ideas off you and, you know, get some help with podcasting. Uh, you know, I've obviously loved your show for a long time, and it's been pretty uh, pretty amazing for myself to see what's happened in the last year and a bit now going to BCIT. Uh, like like I said at the start of this conversation, it was it was great to just chat with you in person about it as well. Whatever whatever yeah. time it was about a year ago, and I just appreciate the help that you've uh, help that you've been for me over this year in the last little bit of uh, cranking out this podcast stuff. Well, that is uh, I appreciate that a great deal. That's that's very kind to hear, and uh, I'll be sure to come find you in person again once you move to the mainland, and we'll uh, we'll talk shop or whatever. And uh, but I'm more than happy to. <laughs> More than happy to lend you a hand along the way, and it's my pleasure. Awesome. I appreciate it, Ryan. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to do this again down the road, possibly, even though it's going to be with a co-host. We'll have a guest here and there. Sounds good, man. I look forward to it. And thank you very much to Ryan Schaap for joining us there for that conversation. Before we get to our recurring segment, I just want to give a big shout-out to the folks at Parallel 49 Brewing Company. Make sure to check out some of their seasonal beers. I wanted to bring up a couple examples. Uh, the Sea Salted Caramel Scotch Ale, which is called the Salty Scott, a 7.5% strong beer, but it is absolutely delicious. I was passing them out uh, at some family gatherings, and people were really enjoying them. And, uh, yeah, go easy on them because they are strong beers, so I have a couple of them, but they are damn tasty. Uh, the ones that I'm excited to try that I'll will be hopefully asking Parallel 49 to send my way are the uh, Rock the Bells Cranberry Sour because I enjoyed the Cranberry Rattler so much uh, I might as well try the Cranberry Sour Rock the Bells so make sure you guys go out and try some Parallel 49 Brewing Company beers uh, they got a ton of crazy flavors and awesome artwork on the can so make sure to go check them out they're also available in person with the Street Kitchen in East Van check out their website Parallel49Brewing.com or check them out on Twitter and Instagram as well alright folks let's Let's get to it, right into it. It's time to ride the bus with Corey Hergott. Hey, 
What a play by Zach McEwen, who draws the Comets to within one. A little shimmy shake. Guys, joining me now for the conversation, it is time for a recurring segment here on the Canucks Conversation. It's time for Corey Hergott with Riding the Bus. How you doing, Corey? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great. It's nice to kind of uh, relax here at all. You know, Friday kind of you know snuck up on me a little bit with all this Christmas stuff going on because uh, we record every single Friday. It definitely snuck up on me when you texted me at noon saying, when are we going to record? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun uh, handful of days here and time kind of gets away from you a little bit, so... Uh... Yeah, I was kind of wondering, uh, yeah, I hadn't heard from you yet, and I thought, <laughs> oh, I wonder if Chris has got something on the go today. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, still got the three interviews today. I, I want to touch on Christmas a little bit before we dive into it, because, you know, it's that time of the year, uh, everyone gets around for it, obviously we kind of touched on it before we started going, a big holiday meal. Uh, are you a turkey guy, or is there a side that sticks out to you that you need to have on the Christmas table? Uh, I, I like my Christmas turkey, uh, I like the stuffing. Uh, I like the gravy. Yeah, aside from, uh, I like some mashed potatoes too. I guess with the gravy on it. Aside from that, uh, you know the desserts and you know crackers and cheese and that kind of thing. That's kind of my jam at Christmas time. Oh, the appetizers! I like that's what everyone was talking about the last couple of days. Like I've had so many crackers and cheese and you know like uh, the sweet chili sauce that they put on there and all that stuff. The red chili whatever that sauce is damn called, but it was a lot of it all over the place. And I, I got to ask, cause I've, I've talked about this. I remember on Thanksgiving with some people on the episode, is there something crazy that you get thrown into your stuffing? Cause I've heard people talk about cranberries, walnuts. Is there something uh, thrown into there by Mrs. Hergot? No, I don't think she's got anything uh, too out of the ordinary in there. Uh, my wife actually, she hasn't made any stuffing uh, in recent years. It's usually uh, her mother that's, uh, mm-hmm. That's doing the, the the cooking that I'm eating at, at Christmas time. My fam my family's all back east in Ontario, and yeah. uh, so I, I spend a lot of time, uh, you know, holiday stuff with uh, with my in laws, and uh, they certainly uh, put on a pretty good spread. This year, we actually did. Uh, my in laws rented uh, a community hall down the road uh, in Davis Bay there, and mm. we had like fifty some odd people there on Christmas Day for a big uh, kind of extended family gathering. It was it was uh, quite a good time. All the little kids running up to you and asking about the Utica Comets or what? <laughs> I did actually have a few people uh, talking, asking me about Comet stuff. Yeah, that's uh, that kind of happens from time to time with uh, you know the people that don't see me on a on a regular basis. Uh, but yeah, I've got a couple of nephews, uh, Cash and Levi, who are uh, big, big uh, hockey freaks, and uh, they're always wanting to know what's going on. That's awesome. Yeah, it was funny for me seeing some of the, I guess, the more distant family that I don't see on, like, a weekly basis. It was every single gift that I got, you know, had a Canucks logo on it at some point. And I'm not complaining, but I just thought it was pretty good, actually, because they actually paid attention, obviously, with what I'm doing with the show. And, like, I'll never say no to any Canucks gear, so I got some new toques, jackets. It's a good good Christmas time, I think. 
Nice little Canucks haul for Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. I'm stoked about it. But uh, yeah, let's let's dive into the Utica Comets a little bit. Obviously, they are coming into another busy weekend, Friday and Saturday games this weekend, but also the Tuesday game on uh, New Year's Eve, which should be pretty exciting as they take on Hershey tonight. Uh, and when I guess this episode is released, they'll take on the Lee Valley. Lehigh Valley Phantoms, uh, which is, you know, a tough matchup for both of them because Hershey, I know, gives them a good run every week. Uh, what's the weekend set up for you? I mean, is this one where the Comets should look to take both the weekend games and move into Tuesday and, uh, you know, try and get another win there? Or is this going to be a tough matchup for them coming up? It's going to be a pretty tough matchup today. Um, Hershey has, uh, I think they've won eight games straight. Um, the Comets have won three in a row, but uh, Hershey's been pretty hot of late. Uh you know, so it could be a pretty tough battle today uh, for the Comets. Uh, I'm certainly looking forward to it. Uh, hopefully they've, uh, you know, worked all that turkey off and they're ready to play today because uh, they're going to need to come out, uh, you know, guns blazing in this one. Um, you know, Hershey's a pretty strong team. Lehigh Valley's a strong team as well. And uh, back-to-back games in the next couple of days. And I think the game on, uh, it was Tuesday, you said, right? I think yep. that game's at like... Uh, two in the afternoon or something two our time so yeah. it'll, it's a little bit earlier that one so the next three games heading into the new year are going to be pretty good uh, i'm looking forward to it i can't wait to see what happens here going into the second half of the season because uh you know there's some stories to watch the, the uh, comets have a couple of guys who you know came out of college with josh tevis and brogan rafferty so it'll be interesting to see how those guys kind of uh how they handle the second half when they're not used to playing as many games uh that said you know josh tevis has been uh what's he been held to 20 games this year out of their 31 so maybe he's uh being you know broken in a little bit more slowly than rafferty has this year Right, and you speak of Rafferty a little bit, I want to just jump right to one of the questions that we got because I want to touch on all three of them. Uh, it seems like we talk about it every week, but I might as well ask you now, maybe things have changed. Uh, Corey, do you realistically think that the Canucks will call up Rafferty? Should they? Uh, and I guess I kind of want to expand on that question a little bit. I mean, right now I think that we both know that it's probably not the right time to call Rafferty up, but if he keeps continuing at this pace that he's scoring at, I mean, does he make a serious case to get some NHL time just from how good he's doing in the AHL? Well, the big thing is going to be, uh, you know, who he's going to be replacing up top, um, you know, at the NHL level, the the right side right now with Myers, Tanev, and uh, Stetcher. You know, those are three pretty pretty solid players. Uh, Brogan's going to have to work pretty hard to, to bump those, any of those guys out of the lineup. But uh, that said, we, we've seen, uh, you know, so far, Touchwood, it's been good this year for Tanev, and he hasn't been, uh, you know, too dinged up, but He's a guy that's uh, historically been, been uh, you know, gets dinged up in the second half of the season. If Rafferty, you know, if he does get injured and Rafferty uh, gets a legitimate spot in the lineup to, to get a solid look, I think it's a great idea to get him up and, and just, uh, you know, let him see where he's at now that he's got 31 games of American League hockey under his belt. Uh, you know, he offensively, obviously, uh, what's he got? Twenty nine points in thirty one games. So, yeah, on that side of things, he's clearly killing it in Utica. Um, whether or not that translates fully to the NHL level, that's uh, you know we're going to have to wait to see on that. I think the big thing for him is uh, you know the work in his own end. We've we've seen those giveaways. Uh, you know, they're they're still happening. They're not happening as frequently as they were in the in the start of the season. But uh, you know, Brogan still has some stuff on uh, on the defensive side of the puck to work on. And and I have no problem with him spending the bulk of the year in in Utica this year. And 
you know, getting his cup of coffee again at the end of the season. Um, that's kind of if they think they can move on from a Stetcher or a or a Tanev and, and give him a you know a spot on the roster, then yeah, you know, I'd be all for it in the second half, closer to the trade deadline. Right, absolutely. And I know you've touched on it a few times in the past on this show as well. But when people see Breezebois or Chatfield being called up, I think you've mentioned it. The reason is because it's not for a significant amount of time. When we do see an injury to one of these right side guys in the NHL, do you expect that that's going to be Rafferty for sure getting called up? Yeah, I do. I think uh, I, I think if it's a situation where the the Canucks know that they're going to need a a defenseman to play, you know, five or six or eight or ten games or something along that kind of uh, that kind of route. Then I think they they lean more towards Rafferty and, and give him, uh, you know, a good solid look. I think if it's a situation where they've got a guy that's maybe got the flu or something and it's a game time decision and they might have to squeeze a guy in for a game, then yeah. that's where it's going to be, uh, you know, more leaning towards a chat field on that side of things. Right. And, you know, to, to kind of speak to that, I would say that Rafferty's probably the most NHL ready. And we do have another question from X Braden on Twitter. His question is, who are the most NHL ready prospects currently in Utica? And this question's interesting because he does break down prospects. And though some people may not believe that Reed Boucher is a prospect, anymore do you think that he's the most NHL ready or is it you know Sven Berchi is still going to get the opportunity or is that you know has that kind of ship sailed at this point right now well I mean if I'm from my personal opinion if I'm looking at uh, and players who I believe uh, you know can step in and play NHL minutes right now in Vancouver uh, obviously Berchi is at the top of the list for me yeah uh Goldobin slides in there, Boucher slides in there, uh, Zach McEwen. Uh, I think Justin Bailey's a guy that I'd be willing to give a look to at the yeah. NHL level in a in a fourth line role. Um, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Francis Perron if they if they wanted to. Uh, you know, give a guy a look, um, maybe in a, a second or a third line sort of a spot to see if if he's a guy that can maybe bring something to the table. I, I don't know if that's you know, super realistic for him um, right now, but I think it'd be worth, you know, a, a quick look at least anyway. Um, on the back end, I think I'd probably be looking more towards a Sautner, a Brisebois, and a Rafferty as the three guys that I kind of look at as my first three sort of call-ups uh, to the NHL level. Right, and you know, we haven't really touched on it too much. I know we definitely get questions for it, and people always want to hear about Yo Levy, but I mean, since coming back from this minor injury that set him back and they sent him to Vancouver, uh, have you been impressed, or have you kind of just been like, oh, it's still just Yo Levy doing his thing right now? Or have you been impressed with how, you know, the knee has been holding up over these past couple games since this injury scare that we had? Well, I mean, he hasn't jumped off the page uh, at me like uh, Rafferty does, but it when you're looking at his offensive statistics uh, and that side of things this year, but he is playing, uh, Yule Levy is playing a steady, solid game. Uh, he's blocking a ton of shots. He's taking on a different role than he had last year. Uh, you know, he had only 18 games last year, I think it was, but um, you know, this year he's a, you know, full-time penalty killer and he's, and he's doing really well in that role. Um you know, whether or not we see Ole Ulevi come to the NHL and, and be a big point-producing defenseman, that was kind of never something that I saw from him, even though he had a really nice start to the year offensively last year. I yeah. kind of, I see him as more of a, you know, an all-around defenseman who can provide some secondary offense, but a guy who's going to be able to look after his own end, a guy who's going to be able to get pucks out of his end, uh, you know, quickly and hopefully with, uh, you know, without, being picked off he's had a few 
few of those long stretch passes picked yeah. off this year, but he's had uh, more than a few of them that have connected. So I think that's, uh, for me, he's a guy that's going to just be kind of the, uh, like a second pairing, you know, good all around defenseman, uh, sort of, I, I kind of always circle back to it. Dan Ham, he style with him, but maybe just a little less physical. Right, and you actually just kind of touched on there. He's blocking a ton of shots. I think when people, dra- you know, when Canucks fans saw that we drafted Olio Levy so high, a lot of people were like, "Oh, he's got that top four pedigree where he can maybe bring something to the power play." But what you just kind of mentioned there is, are we kind of like shifting it to more as a top four guy that you know can bring some on the penalty kill instead? Well, I think he. Can, I think it's going to be a, like an all around game for him. Yeah. I, I, I'm not. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to say that they, he's not a guy that'll get used on the power play. I think maybe, you know, down the road we could see an option where, you know, you've got guys like Quinn Hughes, Brogan Rafferty, and if he's still around when they get there, Alex Edler, who are options, uh, you know, on the first and second unit power play. But I think uh, Yul Levy could be an option there as well down the road. I mean, he's shown, shown an ability in Utica uh, to be able to do nice work on the power play. He has been burned... Uh, quite often uh, with pucks coming out of the offensive zone and he's not been able to get back on his horse quick enough to, uh, you know, to stop that guy from getting a shorthanded chance. But I think that kind of thing will settle down and, and we won't see it as much, uh, you know, when he gets more experience. Yeah, true. And, you know, right now he's looking hot, riding a one-game uh, scoring streak, if you want to call it that, <laughs> after he just scored against Rochester. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing about Levy that I've noticed is, you know, a guy like Jack Rathbone who's playing with Harvard, I mean, watching him he seems very similar to what Yolevi's doing at his level, and, you know, Jack Rathbone's scoring a few more goals in the NCAA. Uh, I know he's probably a guy that you're excited to see if the Canucks can end up locking him down with a pro contract moving forward, because, you know, I think that's another type of guy who's just going to help the defense, similar to what we've seen Tevez do or Rafferty do. I mean, you know, Rathbone is a guy who, you know, if he was a free a college free agent, a lot of teams would be after him, so I'm excited to see him moving forward. Uh, I just I want to get to the final question here uh, from Judd Brackett is underrated at Judd Brackett underscore one. Uh, that's young Judd over there. His question is: Is the Calder Cup a decent possibility for the Comets? And Corey, right now the the Utica Comets only have five teams, I believe, that have more points than them, uh, though they have played a couple more games uh, in the AHL. So I mean, when you do see that, are you seriously thinking that this Comets team can make a push for the Calder Cup this year? Well, if and it's a big if, um, if the team has uh, you know their full complement of players available to them, you know, meaning the team is healthy uh, and they can play all of their, uh, their their higher end veterans over top of their AHL um, level veterans, mm-hmm. and if they can. Um, you know, if they don't have a bunch of guys up in Vancouver uh, working on a playoff run up there, then yeah, I think that the Comets have a really good chance to uh, make some noise this year. I mean, uh, if the team is healthy, uh, just as a, I just wrote down a, a real quick uh, lineup that they could roll out. You know, they could run with a Berchi, Yashik, Goldobin line. They could run with a Boucher, Camper, Lind line. They could run with a Perron, uh, Graovac, McEwen line. They could run with a Gadjevich, Malone, Bailey line. Yeah, that's amazing. That's, <laughs> that's a pretty, um, you know, high-end offensive top four lines that they can roll out there. I mean, uh, the only guy in that list that hasn't really produced much in the way of points this year is Seamus Malone, and if you've got... Uh, you know, a Justin Bailey and a Jonah Gajevich on either side of them, I think uh, there's a chance that 
you know, in a in a lesser role, not having to go up against the the other team's top lines like Malone has been this season, playing a lot with Berchi and and Boucher. Mm-hmm. If he's in a fourth line role with guys like Gajovic and Bailey, I think that takes a bit of heat off of him, and that allows that line to maybe produce a little bit more as well. Um, so that would be a really nice look up front on the back end. I'd love to see them still add. Um, you know, a defenseman who can play the right side uh, with Ole Levy, because uh, that would allow for you know, say Yolevi and uh, like a Luke Shen type of guy right. on the right side beside him, Breezebaugh with Rafferty and Sautner with Chatfield. You'd have a really, really strong <laughs> top six. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't have that at the moment, so I think you'd be looking at a Yolevi Chatfield. Breezebaugh, Rafferty, Sautner, Bluegis, um, top six, how the coaching staff would probably roll them out. Mm-hmm. And even at that, that's a pretty nice-looking uh, group of, of six defensemen, as long as that group can kind of settle things down and keep the shots down a little bit. I think with guys like Sautner and Bluegis, that you know, they can do heavy lifting on the penalty kill with Yo Levy and Chatfield. Uh, Breezebaugh has been a penalty-killing machine this year as well, so, I mean, Basically, every one of those guys can be rolled out on the penalty kill. You'll levy uh, and Rafferty give them, you know, some pretty nice options on the power play as well. So uh, I think that's they've got a pretty good chance. And you know, you've got Mikey DiPietro playing like a number one goalie in Utica, and then you've got the guy, uh, you know, who the team signed to be the number one goalie in Utica, Zane McIntyre, who could be backing him up. So I think. Uh, you know, they're, they've got a pretty strong team top to bottom as long as everybody's healthy. Yeah, exactly. And you talk about when they did make the Calder run. I mean, they had, you know, Mark Sturm obviously holding it down back there. And we're starting to see maybe that DiPietro, an opportunity for him. That would be, I think that would just be huge for him to get some playoff time in the AHL because playoff AHL hockey is about as close as NHL hockey as you're probably going to find around the world, would you not say? I would say so. I mean, throughout the season, um, you know they're playing some pretty decent hockey down there but it does go up another level in the playoffs like all hockey does Mm -hmm. and i know that's something that uh it's a bit of a contentious issue uh in the vancouver market about whether the team should be pushing you know to be a playoff team or whether they should be pushing just to straight up develop prospects and not worry about winning games and, and getting into the playoffs and and i know in speaking with ryan johnson and and Trent Cole, that's they see the playoffs as another level uh, of uh, experience for their prospects to get down there, and it's something that they hold a lot of value in. So they're they're going to push for that. I mean, they're going to want to make the playoffs down there, and uh, I think this is a team. If they do get in, they can make some noise. Yeah, so I'm damn excited. And obviously, they're sitting in a pretty good spot right now. That uh, that amazing start to the season has definitely helped, and they've fallen off a little bit. But I mean, over the past couple of games, like you mentioned, a three game win streak for them. You know, getting a couple out of these next three would be huge. Uh, the the one guy that you brought up, and I, I want to just talk about him a little bit more because I'm seeing the stats, and it's you know impressing the hell out of me that Jonah Gadjevich has seven goals in 17 games. You know, playing in a bottom six role, he does only have the one assist, so he's a guy who likes to park himself in front of the net and uh, bang away the garbage goals but I think that's why the Canucks drafted him in the second-round pick. Uh, with Jonah Gadjevich, I mean, when he's healthy, he's been great. What have you seen from him so far this season and improvements? Well, his skating is better than it was last year. He still needs, uh, you know, there's still some work to do there for him. Uh, and, I mean, maybe he only gets uh, so far with his uh, improvement in his skating, and then the rest is going to have to come from, you know, hockey smarts and, uh, you know, just, making uh picking quicker routes to pucks uh, and to scoring lanes but 
with Jonah, I see a guy that's not afraid to get his nose dirty. He brings a ton of energy. Um, the last handful of games, he's been playing uh, quite a bit with uh, Carter Banks and uh, Vincent Arsenault. And, and those three have been uh, crashing and banging and, and throwing their bodies around and, and creating havoc on the forecheck. And and that's something that, uh, you know, the, the Canucks are going to need down the road, whether it's a, a Jonah Gadjevich or, or a Zach McEwen or somebody of that ilk who's, you know, a big body who can get in and disrupt things on the forecheck and, and make some room for their for their line mates. Uh, those are guys that are going to be really, really important. And, uh, you know, Jonah's a guy, he's he's got really good hands. Uh, I've seen him, uh, you know, in tight in front of the net, uh, tipping pucks or corralling a puck and getting it upstairs in a hurry. Uh, he had a beautiful one-timer goal uh, this year from, you know, kind of the high slot area where he just hammered it. Uh, so he's definitely got some areas of, of his game that uh, stand out for sure. And, and uh, you know, he has impressed this year. He's he's not maybe getting the, the plum assignments that Cole Lind is getting. He's not getting, uh, you know, a lot of time with the Reed Boucher's and the Sven Berchies and stuff. But uh, Jonah does a lot with what he what, with what he's given. And, and so far this year, I like a lot of what I see from him. I'd like to see him get some penalty kill time. Yeah, I, I've said that. that about Cole Lind this year as well. And, uh you know, maybe that's something we can look forward to in the second half uh, if the coaching staff, you know, kind of agrees with me on that side of thing and sees that as, you know, another step that they need to take. Absolutely. It's it's kind of what you just touched on, I guess, with the earlier question is, you know, are they going for development or are they going for the playoffs? And that's a situation that you talk about a lot, you know, seeing some of these guys get some penalty kill time because that's a huge step in development. If you can kill penalties at the AHL level, I mean, it's, you can probably, well, I mean, it's a lot tougher in the NHL, but at least the fact that you can do it at the AHL level is a huge step in your development when you're moving into the NHL with some of these prospects. Yeah, and I mean, whether or not they expect these guys to kill penalties when they get to the NHL, um, you know, if they've got them killing penalties at the American League level, it's just going to help their overall defensive game, their overall defensive awareness, uh, you know, where to be on the ice in different situations. And it keeps them more engaged in games as well. And I think that's a really important thing, you know, finding minutes for for some of these guys. Uh, Lucas Yashik, um you know he isn't he isn't getting uh, a ton of power play time this year, but boy oh boy is he getting fed the minutes on the penalty kill, and if that's where they see him as a you know down the road as a guy that's going to be better suited for that role, then you know good on them for you know identifying that now and, and getting him those reps early so he can take that next step. Yeah, absolutely. Very excited, and obviously, you know, even just touching on the Calder run, that that's a possibility. I'm just damn excited to see what this team's able to do, because it's been so impressive so far. And uh, I'm excited to keep these conversations going, Corey, as we uh, move and transition into me bringing on a co-host with David Quadrelli. Uh, so I'm very excited to keep uh, continuing on with Riding the Bus with you, because I know a lot of people love hearing about it. You get comments, and they love hearing from you about it. So uh, appreciate that, Corey, and uh, Merry Christmas to you, and a Happy New Year as we move towards that next week. Much appreciated, Chris, and uh, Merry Christmas to you as well, and uh, stay safe over the uh, the new year here, and we'll get at you again here next week, and we'll do this all again. Absolutely, it should be a good time. I also just uh, sent a tweet your way of my favorite picture of Jonah Gadjevich, so you'll have to check that out. Oh, I bet you it's the one where he's covered in blood, right? You're damn right. <laughs> all right, I'll talk to you next week, Corey. <laughs> Sounds good, Chris. Talk to you later. 
And thank you to Justin Morissette and Ryan Schaff for joining us this week on the show. A big shout-out to Corey Hergott as well for joining us every single week here for the Ride in the Bus segment on the Canucks Conversation. And a final shout-out to the folks at Parallel 49 Brewing Company Beer for sending me beer and being the sponsor of this podcast. So thank you very much. Go check them out in East Van or in any liquor store around BC. Um, So, yeah, this is the second-last episode in this current format. Next week, episode 60, we're going to do a big finale with some favorites uh, coming back onto the show some of the guests that had the best performing episode so i believe that you guys want to hear some more from them uh, so we'll get them on the show it's going to be a big finale for episode 60 and after that 61 and on is quads and i moving into the future as we uh, get set to go to bcit in the fall together in the radio arts and entertainment program i'll actually be there in the spring taking a couple part-time classes and uh, getting situated in the mainland because i'm just a little island boy who doesn't know much about vancouver so i'm excited to explore the area uh, and uh, and figure out what the hell me and quads are going to do with this show moving forward we'll figure that out over the next couple weeks but uh, i will be excited to release episode 60 next week and episode 61 moving forward with quads as my co-host so thank you guys very much for listening to this week's episode my name is chris faber and this has been the canucks conversation